0: We've been looking at now for, this is the eighth week, where we have been studying the book, this book, the Bible, how we got it, and how to get the most out of it. And uh, the first six weeks dealt with the more technical questions of how, how how did we get the Bible that we have, the books that we have. ...how do we know these are the right books? Why are we including the ones we include? Why do we exclude other books that others include? How do we know this is the text? And then inspiration, the doctrine of the inspiration of scripture... ...which I believe in. We studied that. And then last week kind of turned a corner into the last part of that title... The first six weeks, how we got it, and now we'll spend about that much again on how to get the most out of it. Last week we started on the topic, preparing the heart for a living encounter with God's Word, and I made the surprising statement that you prepare your heart for fruitfulness before you open the book. How you prepare your heart for fruitfulness before you even take the Bible off the shelf. There are some things that are really important. And the text that we started into, and we're going to continue in tonight, 2 Timothy 3, verses 10 through 13. Paul writes to Timothy, the pastoral epistles, that's what these are called, 1 Timothy, Titus. When you get into those epistles, these are the last letters that Paul wrote. People debate what happened to Paul. History isn't crystal clear, but most people feel that Paul was executed. He was executed in Rome at the end of his life. These are written toward the end of his life, some of the last things Paul wrote. 2 Timothy 3, starting at verse 10. He writes to Timothy, and he says Timothy, by the way, is a young pastor. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. Then it turns this corner in verse 11. My persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. It didn't happen just once. ...just all these places where Paul went. Which persecutions I endured... ...yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, read verse 12 out loud with me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus... ...will be persecuted. You read it like you really aren't sure you want to read it. Let's do it again a little more strongly... Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus... ...will be persecuted. How many will be? All. While evil people... ...and imposters... ...will go on from bad to worse... ...deceiving and being deceived. This picks up the theme... ...of a very famous parable that our Lord told... ...about the soils. And the seeds scattered on the different types of soil. What... ...the kind of heart... ...upon which the seed of the word lands... ...well it has a great deal to do with... ...the fruit bearing capacity of that seed. The same word has different effects on different types of heart. So, there's more to it than just the Word. There's the readiness of the life to to incorporate the Word. Hence the title, preparing the heart. Getting it ready for a living encounter with God's Word. And so, we're continuing our study of... I said last week, two grand forces for change. And the first one has to do with before the Bible is opened. The first is the power of example. And I want to underscore that Timothy was truly young by any standard of measurement. In all likelihood, not out of his teens yet... As Paul wrote to him. And that should challenge. If you're here tonight and you're a young person, it should challenge you. It's far too easy to live a huge slice of life thinking about what you're going to do for the Lord eventually. Instead of digging in and starting right away. Find somebody who's over 50 or 60 and ask them if they have any regrets and they'll tell you what it is. Get out early, get out of the gate and live for Jesus hard right off the bat. Don't wait for something around the corner. You'll wake up next Thursday morning and you're 70 years old. Trust me, that's how it works. Do it now. Jesus died, by the way, never seeing middle age. Think about that. So the two grand forces for change... ...as they're spelled out in this text... ...are the power of a great example... ...and then the power of the scriptures. And tonight we're going to finish the first of those two... ...because we just started it last Sunday night. The power of a great example. Paul called Timothy to look at his, Paul's, own life. And Paul encouraged Timothy to follow his visible example... ...as an extension of the life of Jesus... ...fleshed out right before Timothy's eyes. Timothy was to follow Paul's life... ...the way a seamstress follows a pattern... ...or you trace around a stencil. So it's not just admiring... ...it's it's cutting the shape of your life... ...in the same way as the example. Last week we looked at that 10th verse. Timothy followed Paul's teaching... Conduct and purpose. We looked at those three words. That's online if you want it. Today we pick up the last half of verse 10. Where he says, you whoever followed my, and I'm going to the last three, my faith, the last four. My patience, my love, my steadfastness. It's a little bit different than Paul's teaching and conduct. Timothy knew very well the content of Paul's faith. Timothy knew what Paul thought. Paul's doctrine. This letter, this was not the first time Timothy had the assignment of teaching others what Paul said and what Paul believed. We know, we know that Timothy had in fact studied Paul's faith so closely that he could relate it to others. You can read about that. In 1 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17. Paul writes to this church at Corinth. And he says, I urge you then be imitators of me. He's saying it again. That is why I sent I sent Timothy my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. Why did Paul send Timothy to Corinth? He says, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Timothy knew Paul's thinking so well, Timothy could go to Corinth and he'd say, now, let me tell you what Paul thinks about all this stuff. That's how well he knew Paul's teaching, Paul's theology, Paul's doctrine. So Timothy was an expert on Paul. That's not what we're looking at tonight. See, Paul is not going to be around that much longer. He would soon join the list of all the other apostles who were martyred for their faith, all but one. So there weren't going to be any more letters from Paul. No more instructions, no more reminders. There'd be no other person to kind of carry Timothy along in in future years. So, in addition to Paul's theology, and in addition to Paul's example, conduct, and purpose, Timothy needed something else. Timothy needed to know, "How, how will I keep this going when Paul is gone? Right? How will he keep it going... For himself. So he needed to have sources of inward strength. So it's not just correct thinking. That's very important. I'm not belittling it. You can't follow Jesus without correct thinking. But Timothy needed to know the secret to endurance. When the batteries of faith kind of start to run low, excuse me just for a second. All sorts of people start well. All sorts of people know how to plan big. Let me tell you where most spiritual failure comes from. It isn't because people get argued out of the Christian faith. It isn't because some really intelligent person proves to them that the Christian faith isn't true. You know what happens? People don't endure. They don't endure... ...when it isn't giddy and happy and joyful and prosperous and blessed. Not everyone knows how to keep things going... ...when there's no external momentum kind of pushing you along. It wasn't long ago. It's kind of died out now. But that renewal movement and their favorite image was the river. You don't hear about it much. It's like all other renewals. They, They come and they wane and they go... But it was a popular image. I mean, you don't have to swim in a river. You just float. But Paul doesn't tell Timothy to float. He tells him to endure. And tied in with Timothy's ability to endure is Timothy's ability to remember. That's the word Paul uses over and over again. There are three things... Three things that must be replayed constantly in his mind, in our minds, if we're to endure to the end with, with strength. Here's what Paul tells Timothy to remember. One, Timothy is to remember Paul's suffering. You see it in 2 Timothy 3 10 and 11. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in faith, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, let from from them all the Lord Rescued me. And what I want you to notice is specifically how Paul calls Timothy to remember what happened at Lystra. Do you see it in that 11th verse? He specifically mentions it. And there's a reason for that. Timothy had been a citizen at Lystra, it was his hometown. Timothy probably saw the events that Paul talked about back in Lystra. Timothy would have seen these things take place. Luke records what happened. It's in in Acts 14, 15 to 22. So, so Paul, there's a healing. Paul's involved in this miracle. Acts 14, 15. Man, why are you doing these things? That The people are just praising and worshipping Paul. And Paul wants them to stop. We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to the living God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without a witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. And even with these words, they, that's the apostles, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul. Dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. So whatever this was, it was not a light beating, because they thought the guy was dead. Timothy sees Paul minister healing to this lame man, the power of Jesus. And Timothy saw Paul explain that the power wasn't his own. It was a manifestation of the power of the gospel. And then Timothy watched as at the mention of gospel, the Jews turn on Paul, stone him, leaving him for dead. And Paul Timothy watches. They drag this bleeding pulp of a body. Timothy watches. Grab him by the arms, just drag him down the street. Paul hadn't done anything wrong. He had just been an instrument of Christ in healing a lame man. So Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, "Remember that. Remember that." There's more. Timothy also knew that after being beaten and stoned, Paul returned to Lystra and encouraged the believers there. How did Paul encourage them? Well, by telling them that what they had just seen, his unjust persecution, his beaten, broken body, that that was was the entry point into the kingdom. That was the path to glory. I'm not kidding. Acts 14, Paul goes back, quote, "...strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God." There. How does that message mark it? Paul goes back to the believers. In the town, where they stoned him and left him dead, and Paul encourages the believers by saying, "...there, that's how you follow Jesus." Now remember where we are. This whole account is exactly what Paul says Timothy was to remember... ...as he faced his difficult situation on Crete. That's what he was to think about as he lost all future contact... ...with his great companion, his mentor, Paul. Timothy, if you don't remember these things after I'm gone... ...if you don't think about them, you're going to be shocked... ...you're going to be discouraged, you're going to be surprised... ...you're going to be taken off guard... Whenever things are slow going and difficult, you'll be zealous, but only when the sun is shining, you won't endure. And I want you to endure. I want you to keep the faith when you have to stand all by yourself. You're the only Christian in the home, in the marriage, in that university class, at the job. I want you to stand. Timothy, remember what happened in Lystra. That's not some weird exception. That's the path into the kingdom in this fallen world. That's how you get there. Seems like a mistake, doesn't it? Timothy, the challenges come now. The rewards come later. Learn to live with patience. Learn to live with an eye on the future. Be consumed with future hope. You won't do well in the Christian life if all you listen to are trendy little books and cassettes and, well, cassettes, not anymore. (laughs) If on your iPod all you're listening to are success stories of blazing, glamorous, glorious Christians. That is no way to follow Jesus because let me tell you right now, their lives aren't always like that and yours aren't going to be either. Wake up and smell the coffee. Here's point number two. Attachment to Jesus always comes at a cost. Looked at it in that twelfth verse. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I made you say it. All. So, this is an exceptionless rule. There is no price whatsoever to be paid for trying to be a good person. Our world still admires that. There is no price whatsoever to be paid for merely trying to be moral. Everybody applauds self-improvement. There is no price whatsoever to be paid for generally studying and trying to live by the ethical code of some religion. You're okay with that. Look what that 12th verse says. The trials come specifically when we want to be godly in Christ Jesus. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. There's the problem. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Scores of thousands of Christians die every year... ...around the world for their commitment to Jesus Christ. That's not the way it always happens. It always doesn't result in death. Sometimes, even here, you pay the price of rejection, intimidation... ...friends won't be pleased... Professors make fun. Workplaces shun. But the point here is that Paul now moves away from his own life... ...that's how it started in point number one. His own life experience, an example to Timothy. Now he moves beyond Timothy to the church at large. To you, to me. The point he's making is a truth with universal application. All who desire to be godly in Christ Jesus... ...you want to be godly in Christ Jesus... When you ask a stupid question, nobody answers. I'm sure all of you say, you know what? I do. I want to be godly in Christ Jesus. Well, then you're going to be persecuted. This world is not neutral toward people who want to be godly in Christ Jesus. Do you know where Paul got this idea? He got it from Jesus. Jesus. John 15, 18 to 20. Jesus sits down now at a Starbucks with his disciples. Okay? And here's what he says. They're confused. Things are not going smoothly. And so Jesus says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Underline that hate, hates. Jesus. This world hates Jesus Christ. They don't hate the Sermon on the Mount. Okay. They don't hate do unto others as you would have them do unto you. They don't hate that. Those principles. It's it's Jesus, the Lamb of God, who died to take away the sins of the world. That Jesus. ...know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world... ...the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world... ...that's why you need to be baptized. You're not of the world. You died to that. But because you are not of the world... ...but I chose you out of the world... ...therefore... You're marked. The world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, did they persecute Jesus? They spat on him. Right in his face, they spat on him. You ever had that happen? Did somebody spit right in your face? That's what they did to Jesus. A servant is not greater than his master. You're the servant, Jesus is saying. I'm the master. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Jesus didn't share this with his disciples to scare them. He shared this with his disciples to prepare them. To live your Christian life only being prepared for blessings... ...and prayer meetings and miracles and deliverance... ...is disastrous... Because all who want to be godly in Christ Jesus need to be prepared for persecution. And Paul tells young Timothy, you remember that every day. Point number three. The spiritual state of the world is only going to decline and disintegrate. See that verse 13, 2 Timothy 3, 13 while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So Paul's talking about his example to Timothy. And he says, follow me. Follow me as I follow Christ. But don't pick your examples carelessly, because the world's going from bad to worse. And if you follow those examples, you're going with them. I I, I need six people to try and make this... Ladies, six. One, two, three, four, five, six. You don't have to say anything or do anything. I just need you to come on up here. This is easy peasy. Don't worry. Three of you just stand over there. I just need three to start with. Okay, let's just pretend. I would do this on a screen with a picture, but now I'm just going to use people as my sort of marking points. Okay, so let's, let's pick two people. You guys come with me. You st- no, no, it's easy. Can you just stand here. All you gotta do is stand here. don't even have to say a word. You stand right there. Don't move. Okay? Now you come with me. We're gonna go over here. And you stand here. That's it. Let's just pretend. So here you have the whole, say, moral spectrum. Going, let's, sorry, gonna, going from bad to good. Okay, let's just pretend. Going from bad to good. Most would say, so, so the average Christian would come and say, well, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not perfect, but, I'm, but I'm, not, I'm not there, and I'm not there. I'm probably somewhere like in the middle, okay? I'm average, so this is where I am. So you're going to be average. You stand right here. This isn't easy. See? Easy. But here's the problem. Ten years go by. Ten years go by. Now you'll come with me. This is good, remember, over here. You stand right behind her, right there. So there's good. Good doesn't change. Good is just the character of God. It's unchanging. It's constant. What did this verse say, though, that I'm reading to you? 3.12. Evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse. Right? So good is fixed. It doesn't move. Evil moves. It, it goes from being bad to being even worse. Okay, you'll be the worse. Come with me. <laughs> No, down here, because we're going to be even worse. Okay, so let's say you just stand right there, don't move. So now I'm thinking there's good and there's worse. And I'm I'm a Christian now, and I'm I'm thinking, well, I'm not. I'm not perfect. But I'm not as bad as I can be. I'm probably, now you, I'm probably somewhere right in the middle. But look what's happened here. Do you get my point? The middle has become the worst end. Because good is fixed, bad starts here, but it gets worse. And so, when you pick the middle 10 years down the road, you're where bad was before. Do y'all get my point? Thank you, ladies. You did a wonderful job. job. Everybody following Jesus is going to be persecuted. That's the first point. Second, be careful about who you follow. ...because bad examples get worse and worse and worse... ...and if you grade holiness by averages... ...you're going in the same direction. And my opinion is, in the body of Christ for years, by and large... ...we have graded holiness in the church by averages. Here's how most people live in the body of Christ... ...the first axiom about persecution... ...that'll give Timothy hope in the middle of his trials... ...that his situation isn't unique. He said, remember me, Paul. Paul said, remember me. Stoned to death, left for dead, eventually executed. The second axiom... ...that things are going from bad to worse... ...isn't to give Timothy comfort. It's to give Timothy warning. You see... ...Paul's talking to Timothy about the power of example. Everyone is influenced by someone. Either you will seek out and cling to... ...at great cost... ...a godly example... ...or you will drift with an ungodly example. And that's why Paul is warning Timothy about this. You can't afford to just latch on to the patterns of this world. They're heading toward destruction... ...toward ruin... ...and especially in the heat of persecution... Because you can easily lighten persecution by doing one thing. Compromise. Right? That's all you have to do. Just compromise. So notice what's at stake when you put these two principles together. Here's what's... ...in the balance, when we follow great examples... ...or compromising ones. There's perfection on one hand... ...there's destruction on the other. Gradual, almost imperceptible... ...but make no mistake about it. Everyone's going to listen to these words... ...in one direction or the other. Find someone who stands out as following Christ pay any price to stay close to Jesus or you'll drift with the crowd so we're right in the middle I know in this series on the teachings of God's word I know that but God's word like that seed that's thrown on the soil that Jesus talked about it only has power when it's ...prepared for when it's properly applied. It has no power just as literature per se. You can admire the book. You can admire the poetry. So before you open up your Bible... ...figure out where you want your life to go. And figure out what price you're willing to pay to get there. So what does it take to follow Jesus... Everything. Everything. Let's pray.